Good morning, church. Take a seat and give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. I want to take just one moment and pray for our state and each person affected by the hurricane. Let's bow together. Lord, we love you. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's already acknowledged the suffering of men and women in our state. I'm thankful that you have held back some of the rainfall that was predicted and asked that you continue to do so and help each and every person affected by this storm. Ask your blessing over those in the name of Jesus. Amen. So thankful to be with you this morning. Thankful that you have decided to brave the weather and get together with us today. I want to talk to you about real community. And this whole year we have been studying and learning about what it really means to follow after Jesus. To really be a disciple. And Jesus knew better than anyone else how to really immerse himself in the lives of men and women. And that is the key to real community. Um, every, everyone on planet Earth does community. You do community, I do community, your neighbors do community. Everyone under the sound of my voice does community. But not everyone does real community. Community is about relationships. That's all community is. We use that word a lot in churches describing the importance of relationships, the importance of connection, the importance of really immersing yourselves in the lives of others. There are two kinds of people on the planet, people with good relationships and people with bad relationships. And if you're honest with yourself, you probably have a little bit of both. What makes relationships bad is when we are artificial in the way we relate to others. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. When relationships are good, it is because they have two qualities. They are both real and they are personal. I'm going to share a little bit from my life this morning. I just had the chance to share my testimony at Celebrate Recovery at our university location last night. Was anybody there that's here this morning? Man, we had a great group that was there. God bless you guys that were there. Everybody was kind of bracing for the storm last night. I got to share my story, and everybody was kind of iffy on what was going to happen this morning. But I was thinking to myself as I shared my story of what really changed my life. I am a broken, beat-up guy from the worst possible places imaginable, and my life radically transformed. And what was it that really radically transformed my life? It was two things. The first was that I developed a very real and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I developed real and personal relationships with others who were willing to really get personal with me. So that's the symptom of real community. Real community is always personal. One tragedy in our lives, and this doesn't discriminate based on age, is how easy it is to be disconnected or impersonal. If you look back over the course of your life, you'll probably notice that sometime around adolescence, you begin to cope with the hurt that you experience in relationships with other human beings by staying a little bit disconnected from them. Relationships can hurt us. People are terminally flawed 
and they hurt us from time to time. And sometimes it's easier in life to disconnect from people a little bit than it is to really deeply connect and risk being hurt. One way we stay disconnected is by labeling others. Early in life, that sounds a lot like the following. Oh, this specific individual is an athlete. Or this individual is popular. Uh, this other individual, they're, they're really smart. Or this individual is just kind of a nerd. Or this individual is a bookworm. Or this other individual is a teacher's pet. This individual may be a gamer. Or this individual may be a cheerleader. How about this? Oh, this is a person that's in CR. This is a person who's in a recovery ministry. Or this is a person who's from a wealthy family. Or this is a person who lives across the river, we say in Monroe, West Monroe. What happens when we label people is it keeps things impersonal. Instead of seeing a human being, we see them as an object, as a thing. As someone who's smart or athletic or intelligent or a bookworm or from across the river. Instead of seeing past the things about that person into the person themselves. Jesus' ministry, one of the hallmark features of the ministry of our Lord Jesus, was that it was deeply personal. Our Lord Jesus Christ had the ability to look past labels and see people. Jesus didn't look around and see a group of tax collectors. He saw people. Jesus didn't see a person who was lame or paralyzed. He saw a person. Jesus didn't see a woman caught in adultery as an adulterous sinner as much as he looked past her situation to see the person in the midst of that situation itself. It's not that Jesus couldn't see what people are doing. The Lord Jesus knew exactly what people were doing. In John chapter 4, when he sees a Samaritan woman at a well who had used relationships to seek fulfillment, he knew everything that she had ever done. But he didn't look at her as though she was the sum of all her failures. Sure, Jesus used that information to transform and change her life. But his goal was to transform and change her life because he saw her for the human being that she was, not as the sum total of her faults. This allowed the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ to be deeply and powerfully personal. I want to look at two verses from Matthew's Gospel to kind of open our thinking about this idea of being real in the relationships that we're a part of and being real in the community God's calling us to get involved with into being personal with the people who are likely already a part of our lives that we're maybe a little bit disconnected from because that gives us the illusion of safety. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 says this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. If you consider that for one moment, it is one of the most profound statements ever written. Think about it. The God of heaven and earth who created the entire universe, who has numbered the very hairs on your head and knows every single sin you've committed and knows every deep valley you've ever walked down, every lie you've ever told, every dishonest act you've ever participated in, and every moment you have hurt someone else came down from heaven just to be with you. That's totally the opposite of the way relationships work in life today. We don't want to be around people that we know for sure are going to hurt us or that we know for sure have had major screw-ups in their past or who are likely to screw up again. We want to be around the safe bet. We want to be around the people who are popular. We want to be around the people who are thought well of. Dare I even say we want to be around the people who can benefit us in some way. That's how we do relationships. That's exactly the opposite of how Jesus does relationships. He came to this earth because he knew you were going to be broken and beat up and live a little bit disconnected from everybody else to keep yourself safe. And he didn't want you to be lonely or without hope. So he came down from heaven to be with you. Just to be with you. We serve a God that loves each of us that much. A God who is willing to meet with us where we are at. Jesus also walked alongside people in their journeys. He trained his disciples, correcting, rebuking, loving, and encouraging. Walking with them along their pathway in life. And Jesus does that in each of our lives. Even through the tough stuff. Even through the inconvenient stuff, even through the nasty stuff, even through the stressful stuff. And you know what? That's the opposite of how relationships work in our culture today. And when somebody's stressed out and calls our phone Friday night at 11 o'clock, it's really easy to want to screen that call. Or we know somebody's going through a difficult season that feels like it's going to require a lot of investment and a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of resources. It's real easy to find yourself preoccupied with doing some something else in the moment of another individual's need. We all struggle with that. Jesus did the opposite. He is truly a God that's willing to know you in the midst of your struggle in the midst of your stress, and in the midst of your pain. Instead of being a God who withdraws from us in that moment, Emmanuel means in those moments of our greatest need. Come on, somebody. God finds us and is with us in the middle of those stories. That's real. Think of the comfort Jesus left in the throne room of heaven to endure pain and agony on our behalf. As part of the worship at Celebrate Recovery last night, we were watching a video of the crucifixion of Jesus from the movie Pat, The Passion of the Christ. And I was struck in that moment brand new by two things. The first is how brutal that was. And that we serve a God who left heaven to endure 
almost unimaginable pain on our behalf. That struck me really powerfully because I'm getting ready to share my story of all my mess ups and mistakes and how Jesus saved my soul. And I thought, man, each and every wound on his body should be on mine for the messed up stuff that I did. And the movie does a pretty good job of highlighting the religious leaders of Jesus' day during the scourging, the beating and abusing of Jesus. And there's a few times in the Gospels that the Gospel writers record the the religious leaders having to admit that they've never seen anybody perform the miracles Jesus could perform or doing the ministry that Jesus did as powerfully as he did it. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of times where these guys are astonished that he could teach so powerfully and that his influence was so significant. And yet these guys turned away from Jesus out of their own selfish ambition. Jesus was willing to sacrifice for us. That's personal and it's real. If you fast forward in Matthew's gospel to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34, we get this really interesting verse. Jesus is actually headed from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's about a 15-mile journey. And if you know the gospel story, you know that at this moment, Jesus is heading into Jerusalem to begin the end of his ministry. Once he gets to Jerusalem, he'll eventually be arrested, uh, falsely accused, tortured, and crucified. So he is literally going into the most anxiety-inducing, stressful, intense season of his mission on earth. And on his way into Jerusalem, there are these two guys who are alongside the road that are blind. If I, I'm not going to speak for any of you, but if I am headed to do something that is really intense or really anxiety-inducing, or really stressful, I almost have tunnel vision. And it's not that I sometimes don't notice the person who's broken down on the side of the road, or the person who's asking for money as I make a, a turn in some road. It's not that I don't notice, but when I am stressed and anxious, and where I am headed is really intense, I am thinking about myself. And that's sad to admit as a minister. And you got my word, I'm working on that. I don't feel like I'm the only one who struggles with that, given my work in ministry over the last 10 years. And when I read what Jesus did when he saw these guys, I am just struck with the compassionate nature of our God. These guys cry out to Jesus for healing. And it's almost as if the crowd that's traveling with Jesus knows the danger he will face in Jerusalem. And they tell these guys who are crying out, have mercy on us and heal us. It's almost like the crowd's aware this is a major inconvenience. These guys obviously don't have any idea how important this moment is or who this individual is or what he's going to accomplish in Jerusalem. And so the crowd following Jesus rebukes these guys and says, be quiet. So often, people who have been in agony for a long time have trouble seeing past their need. That was true for these blind guys. They were consumed with finding some relief for the pain of living 
blind. You've been there. You've been through a season where you were totally consumed with finding some relief for your pain. To people who are not in that moment, that could seem inconvenient like it did to Jesus' followers. But these guys were so desperate, even after being rebuked, they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And if we were traveling to do something as intense as Jesus knew he was about to do, that was as stressful and anxiety-inducing as the crucifixion was going to be. So many of us would have looked at these guys and said something like, did you not hear this crowd of people that are following me? We're busy. We got work to do in Jerusalem. It's going to get crazy for us really soon. And would have just walked right on by. But they were hurting and Jesus was struck by their pain. And in Matthew 20, 34, Jesus has compassion on them, touches their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and they followed him. Let me talk to you very briefly about what being personal means. I've got a few things up on the screen for you if you're following in, if you're following along on your WFR church app. Uh, these are also found on the app. One of, the, one of the characteristics of being personal with people is that personal gives time. Personal gives time. Jesus had every reason to become the busiest man in the history of the world. He was and is the Son of God, God in human form, and the Savior of the entire world. He could have literally filled his schedule 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yet Jesus took the time to connect with people. And especially people that many would label as insignificant or unimportant. And ladies and gentlemen, that's personal. You've heard the idea there is no such thing as quality time, only quantity time. Jesus mastered that. Spending inordinate amount of time with people who had no real qualifications to have deserved that level of attention from the Savior of the entire world. And Jesus really knew the difference between giving enough time to someone to meet their needs versus giving only the amount of time that was convenient for him. And there's a difference. When we really get personal with people, that means we jump into their lives with both feet and make the commitment to invest in them until the need is met, not make an investment until it becomes inconvenient for us. That's the style of Jesus, and it's the template that we're supposed to follow if we want to get personal and real in our communities. Jesus also really knew how to give time in which he focused on another person rather than time that was centered around him. The, the, the pathway from Jericho to Jerusalem is just a beautiful example of that. Jesus had every reason to pass on by centered on his own needs and instead stops his world and spends time focusing on someone else. Being personal is also tender. Jesus was literally headed to be crucified 
for the wretchedness of these two guys. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to pay for the sins these two blind guys committed. How unjust that they be so entitled and have such a narcissistic attitude that they ask for anything else from the Savior of the world and instead don't just give Him glory and honor and praise and worship because to Jesus all of the above are due. Jesus had every right to stop and not heal, but instead to rebuke and to chasten, to tell these two men that it was their wickedness and their wretchedness and their shame that was driving him to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross. We can focus so much on things in life we don't really need. Things that are temporary And will ultimately become completely and totally irrelevant in eternity. And in church, we don't necessarily really need different programs. They're important. I'm not debating that. I'm so excited about some of the things we're going to roll out this fall. But we are rolling out Rooted because it's going to give you the opportunity to get real and to get personal with the people God's already placed in your life. We certainly don't need more theological debates and arguing about religion. I'm not saying there's not a place to really deeply study theology. And the truth is, everybody's got a theology, whether or not you know it. But we don't need more theological debates and religious arguing. And so often we really don't need new techniques and strategies. What Jesus showed us has worked, does work, and will continue to work. And what is that? It's a tender compassion on people. That is personal. Personal touches others. Have you ever seen a person you didn't want to touch? You don't have to answer that question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Everybody just felt like they got hit in the gut, right? The answer to that question in your life is, is most likely yes, unless you're in denial, okay? At, le- at the very least, you have walked into a doctor's office at one point in time in your life and saw somebody who obviously was feverish and had a runny nose and it was during flu season and you did what any sound-minded human being would do in that moment. You put your hands in your pockets and you sat opposite the room from that individual. At least in that case, you have seen somebody on planet Earth you didn't want to touch. But Jesus has never seen anyone that he didn't want to touch. Ever. Think of the people he literally placed his hands on. It was the lame. It was the blind It was the sin sick and the left out. Those were the kind of people that Jesus was really willing to show love to. When I think of touch, I think of love. I had the opportunity to do ministry uh, in India. Those of you that have listened to my teaching and preaching for years know how that trip went for me. I'll spare you some of the grisly details. But I was able to ride a train into the inner part of India, into this village that was very impoverished. There were these grass huts. I got to celebrate a four-year-old boy's birthday with him. And the family had saved up for months 
to buy this boy what to us would look like a cupcake that was his birthday cake. And I would have given anything and since this moment have brought overseas with me packs of gum and stuff to give kids uh, when I'm overseas. I would have given anything to have something to give this little boy, man, just so precious. And so I asked the guy who I was with, what can I do for this family that would mean something to them and be significant to them in this moment? I would literally give the shirt off my back if it, if it would be something that these guys would, would view as meaningful. And, and the guy said, they've never seen an American in this village ever. And if you would just hug their son, they'd never forget it. And I thought, wow. Just some loving compassion on another person would be unforgettable to them. If you look back in your own life, isn't it those moments where someone stopped their world and showed love and compassion to you that was powerfully transformational in your life? But what do we so often think? Well, if we could just give people some money or if we could just help them get a job or just connect them to the right girl or the right guy or the right home or or the right situation. And all of those things are important. It's not that they're not important. They're just things that are more important that Jesus taught us are more important. The power of love and of compassion. That's personal. Personal also really treasures others. It places actual value on others. I brought my coffee cup up this morning because today, unlike other days, I deliberately poured some artificial sweetener in my coffee. Okay? Raise your hand before God if you drink coffee with artificial sweetener in it on a regular basis. I am praying for you in the name of Jesus. Okay? God forgive you. Uh, All right, so nobody wants to spend a lot of money investments in something that's artificial, that's not real, right? My my son is looking at uh, baseball cards. He's in this season of life where baseball cards are real cool. And he's like, Dad, I found such and such rookie card and it's only $1. And I'm like, son, it's artificial, Or my kids will drink something that's like this sweet. And I'm like, well, it's artificial sweetener. It's not the real thing. Personal time invested in others that's tender and loving, that has a genuine affectionate touch, shows that you treasure others. And it gives them the sense that they're not artificially valuable to you, but that to you they have real value. Jesus was the master at making people feel like they really had value. That's contrasted with the ultimate artificial sweeteners of Jesus' day, which were the religious leaders. I've referred to them once already. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were really artificial people. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, these guys don't practice what they preach. Later in Matthew 23, he calls them whitewashed tombs. You guys look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are completely dead. That is the ultimate double life. That's like me giving you black coffee drinkers. And let me just raise a glass and take a sip on your behalf. That would be like me giving you black coffee drinkers a drink of artificially sweetened coffee. It looks good. Totally different. To be artificial is to live as someone that you're not. And that's a lie. 
God designed you as you are so you don't have to hide who you are. You are broken and flawed just like everybody else in life. And it is not until others see you as you are and you admit to yourself who you are that God will take your brokenness and put you back together. In Matthew 21, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, this is really terrifying. They knew that Jesus was talking about them. And in that moment, they had a decision to make. They knew Jesus was talking about them. They knew they were living two different lives. They knew they weren't practicing what they preached. They knew that they were broken. They knew that they were flawed. They knew that they were messed up. And instead of coming to Jesus, admitting what was happening in their life and being real and getting personal with Jesus and opening themselves up to real relationships that are personal with others, they looked for a way to arrest him. But they didn't even do that. Because of what they were worried other people were going to do. Because they were afraid of the crowd. And because the people held that he was a prophet. That's the definition of being artificial. If you look at the qualities of these guys, you'll see a few things come across. The first is that artificial is always very guarded. Artificial is always very guarded. And guarded does seem safe. Guarded seems safe. I said earlier that people are terminally human. They will make mistakes and their mistakes will hurt. So being guarded gives us the illusion of safety. But in the end, that guardedness leads to isolation and disconnect, which causes more agony long term. Because we've been made in the image of Christ designed for real personal relationships. Artificial is also polished. I call this the Snapchat filter phenomenon. The Snapchat filter phenomenon. Now, if you have a social media account and you spend any time on social media, you have run across a person who has used a filter to distort their image. And those images distort to that individual's advantage. And we're constantly trying to present a polished version of ourselves to the world in which we live. Never before in history, this is true, I was thinking about this as I was prepping for this sermon. Never before in history has it been easier to promote a fake, more polished version of yourself than it is right now today. It's never been easier. You can literally create an electronic profile that lots of people will look at, you stalkers. That is completely false and only focuses on the best parts of you. It's never been easier in history to manufacture that. You know what that sounds like? A whitewashed tomb. That's exactly what Jesus was saying the Pharisees were doing. You guys are fake presenting these filtered versions of yourself for the world to see. And you are dead inside your artificial Social media isn't the enemy and you can use it to connect in real and personal ways and show your personal lives, but so often we don't. We just want to seem polished. That's artificial. Artificial is also simple. And I would say that with quotation marks. If you're guarded and if you edit yourself to the point of seeming polished, 
Your life will seem simple. Why? You'll be a little disconnected from people. You'll tend to only focus on and allow others to see your good side. You'll tend to avoid things that are uncomfortable and difficult or that make you feel uneasy and dirty, which will seem simple until you realize you're dead inside because you're totally disconnected, isolated, and alone, which is like a whitewashed tomb. If you feel, listen to this, church, if you feel a little bit chaotic, you struggle with a little bit of hurt, and you've got some regrets in life, you're probably connecting with people in real and personal ways. And can I just commend you for putting forth that effort? To sum it all up today, Jesus would demand that you slow down for a moment. Because there is someone who needs you to get real and personal with them. We're going to be jumping into this series of lessons to really drive you more deeply into community. That's not necessarily here in the church building on Sunday mornings. We talked about that last series on follow me to the local church. I'm really interested in, in pushing you into community. God has really called our church to digging more deeply into community. And we are calling that rooted. We're calling that rooted. And we'll roll that out and our community groups will roll out and you'll have the opportunity to get real and to get personal. But catch this, it's not that we haven't done community before. We've all done community, but lots of us have never done community for real. We've never really opened up and shared and we've never really opened up and tried to meet the needs of another. Some of you have, and those of you that have, God bless you. And some of us haven't or haven't done that enough. The Bible calls you to that type of community. You need that community, and someone needs you to be a real, personal part of theirs. And that can start today by connecting more deeply with Jesus. I'm going to close with a prayer. And if today you feel a little bit disconnected from Christ, that's the first step you got to take to getting real and personal in community. Without having a real and personal relationship with Jesus, you can't do any of the things that Jesus himself, by living the way he lived, is calling you to do. You can't do it. But when the same spirit that resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, you can live like He is calling you to live. As I'm closing in prayer, I'm going to invite you to come forward and respond. If there is any need in your life, I pray you would take that to the Lord this morning. Let's bow. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus, for His power, for His words, for His life, and for His grace and mercy. I pray that any who need that grace and mercy applied to their lives this morning would respond. And I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.